0: Okay, so today we're finishing up Revelation 13. If you look at the title of today's sermon, it sounds like the title of last week's sermon or last month's sermon with the previous passages because it's kind of the same in the sense of it's talking about the beast. And the call is the same, right, to the Christians of that time. The call is the same to us today who are following Jesus, in that if there are people who are acting and doing and calling us to steer away from God and walk away from the truth and to leave jesus from our life then we're called not to follow them and what we see here in revelation is that there are specific figures as well as types of figures that will come through history that will be intentionally used by satan to point and lead and steer god's people away from following jesus and so we're called to endure we're called to put our faith in jesus especially when life is confusing so this is part two in a sense of last week's sermon, because this is going to be looking at the second beast that is referenced in Revelation 13. We're going to see who this beast is, just like what we did with the first beast, but we're also then going to be able to hopefully have a little bit of um, insight into how this beast works, even in our lives today, in our culture today, and in our world today. And it's in the most subtle of ways sometimes, uh, it's in the most uh, plain and ordinary of ways by which this particular beast. Interacts with us. We might even not know that this beast is alive. But the spirit of this beast, as it leads us then to the end, when there will be this beast coming into life in person, um, we want to have the wisdom and discernment to know how he is working, even right now. So that's what we're going to look at. If you even look at your Bibles and the headings, the first part, uh, verses 1 through 11 or 1 through 10, is the first beast. We're looking at the second part where it's oftentimes described as the second beast. And that's what we're going to put our energy in today. Okay, so where we're at in the Book of Revelation. This is okay. okay, cool. Um, we're in the midst of a, a lot of different metaphors and objects. Okay, so there's trumpets, there's bowls, there's seals, but all of this is how. John, through seeing a vision from God, is taking Christians through a particular narrative and a spiral of how the end will come and how judgments will be unleashed onto the world, but then also ultimately pointing to God's work in human history, God's work in the life of his people, and that he's then calling people of every single season and of age who are in Christ to continue to persevere, to continue to follow Jesus, is ultimately Jesus wins. And so, there's going to be all these things happening, and we'll see cycles and seasons of them, even in our history. And when we look back and as we look ahead, but we can have peace and we can be faithful and we can continue to trust God because ultimately He holds the end in His hands. So, we're merely going along for the journey as part of human history until He takes us to the end. So, when you know the end, it helps you then to carry on with each day. And that would be the encouragement to the people of the first century, and that's the encouragement to us. Yeah, so we see this then spiraling by Revelation 13, where we've already seen the seals open. We see the trumpets that amplify the seals. And then we're between the trumpets and the bowls, which are coming later. And it's like this um, I don't want to say it's a peaceful time, but it's an intentional kind of a, a period in which it's set apart to reveal how Satan continues to work and Satan is known as the dragon here, how Satan continues to work in the world, but then also how God's people can be able to see through that and be able to have the discernment and wisdom to continue to follow christ in the midst of all of this craziness so i want to bring us back to this quote that i shared at the end of the last message about the first beast. okay this was a quote by Danny Yankin. he's a seminary president and author he shared this insight as it relates to revelation 13 as we look at not only the first beast but also the second beast, he said this i believe revelation 13 and the bible's teaching on the antichrist who is that first beast Is not intended to provoke our speculation as to who he is rather i think god's design is to instruct us now and in every generation concerning what antichrists do and how they work as they're empowered and deployed by the dragon who is satan himself the text seeks to enlighten us the devices of the devil the strategies of satan so the first message was about this antichrist and then Kind of been giving an example and a type of how Antichrist come and what they try to do. Today we're going to be looking at the second guy. Okay, he is the guy that is going to be pointing to the Antichrist. He's going to be the guy that calls people to worship the Antichrist, and then also he is working for the dragon, and his power comes from the dragon. And he is identified in this way in Revelation as the false prophet. Okay, so let's go ahead and start by looking at verse one or verse eleven of. Chapter 13 here. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18 today, chapter 13. So let me go ahead and read for us. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. Let's compare and contrast a little bit this second beast with the first one. Okay. So if you remember the first one, it came out of the sea, right? The sea is a symbol of chaos, sea is a symbol of like just. You know, things running amok and everything just kind of being wild. So the dragon sends this antichrist to come out as a beast from the sea, but then the second beast comes out of a different place, comes out of the earth. We also see that this second beast has two horns. The second beast is like a lamb, but then the second beast is also kind of like the dragon. So the second beast kind of is not about him, is he? The second beast is existing to kind of point to other people. He is not about him. He has a message to point everyone to those that he wants us to pay attention to. So last week um, I gave this uh, you know particular description of the first beast, the Antichrist, as being an incarnate impostor. Because this was a guy that even had an injury to him, right? And this was a guy that came back alive again. He's like a fake Jesus. He's like a poor man's version of Jesus. So he's like the incarnate imposter of the Christ. And it's because he's the antichrist. He came from Satan, who is not God, but he sure wants to be. Okay, so this was then the first beast. And so if I was to give kind of a same description of this second guy, I would call him, besides false prophet, which revelation calls him, I will call him the dedicated deceiver so his whole goal is to mess with your mind and to confuse your heart so that who you desire to worship and follow is not Christ, he will do everything say anything and show you whatever would work. So that you are not wanting to follow Jesus, you are not wanting to be a Christian you're not wanting to put your faith in the gospel. And then, if you don't, where would you put your faith? Well, in anti people that have solutions and answers for how you can make more of your life. And then, who would you be loyal to? The dragon who has rebelled against God and continues to fight and are in our conflict. Is in conflict with God. So here's a passage I want to direct your attention to um, as we continue to go on here. Talk about this second beast that falls prophet this is Paul writing a second second Thessalonians when he's describing the end times he's describing what Revelation has fleshed out in detail okay but he's a lot more concise with it so that you kind of can see the movements here what happens who comes into the scene and what is taking place so starting in verse seven he said this for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work they were already in the end times in the first century only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way And then the lawless one, this is then coming to the end, when it comes to the final person, the Antichrist, and the final person, the false prophet, and the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We will look more at that in Revelation as well. That's exciting. So Jesus wins. That's the bottom line. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, the dragon, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So, at the end times, this final false prophet, beast number two, you see him working in the final conflict. But then the spirit of the false prophet works, has worked, continues to work in and amongst. People in the world of all cultures, nations, and you know, ethnicities. And what is the spirit of the false prophet to deceive? He's a dedicated deceiver. His goal is to mislead, misguide, and misdirect you away from God, away from Christ, away from the truth, as it says here in Second Thessalonians 2. Okay, so let's keep going here, starting from verse 12. Let's see what John saw him do. Okay, so we could. It a little bit more what does the second beast do let me go ahead and just read the, the entire section here and then we'll just look at what he does okay so starting from verse 12 this is what john saw it exercises the false, prophet, the false prophet exercises all the authority of the first beast who is the antichrist in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed it performs great signs even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can by herself unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name so much of in, in the form of bad movies that been made about this last part right here you know uh, having a number and having a mark well we'll get to that in a bit um, but it's more important to be able to see what this beast does okay what this beast does to deceive what does this beast do and have the capacity of to confuse and to misdirect and to mislead everyone if he can but certainly you know a lot of the people who are not following Christ is just a simple direct following of what the beast has to say. So first of all, um he represents the antichrist beast number 1. He's like his right hand man. He's like the guy that, you know, does all the publicity and marketing for this guy. You know, he is pointing to the antichrist, he is uplifting the antichrist. He is doing everything he can so that what people would worship him. He's not seeking worship for himself. He is seeking worship for The one that he is working for who is the antichrist. do you guys remember what was as unleashed in the Gospels, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of Holy Spirit was to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not about himself, although the Holy Spirit does amazing things and changes people and gives gifts, the Holy Spirit points people to Christ, so that they would have faith in him this beast does everything he can to also point people. To the antichrist so that they would not have faith in god and they would worship him it speaks about and earlier with the dragon that the desire is for the dragon to have worship from everyone the dragon wants worship from the world that's what satan wants and he will do all that he can his representatives his antichrist then will constantly be drawing people in that direction and the way by which people are influenced to go that way is through the, the words and through the words of False prophets. The war is happening with the saints in spiritual warfare. However, he is doing what he can to make people lean and bend towards the side against God and for the Antichrist and for the world. You see him working in the context of governments, you see him working in the context of organizations, because that's what the world is consisting of. Humans gathering together, coming up with ways to govern, to lead, and to rule. He works in this way and the false prophet is active there. He wants unified worship, he wants unified government, he wants unified values against God for Satan and towards the anti You look at and see verses 13 and 14, he's able to perform, he's able to perform great science, amazing things that can be accomplished. And when I read this um, you know, recently just to prepare for this, you kind of think about it. We can see kind of that kind of stuff now, can't we? I mean, we're at that age technologically where you're looking at, you know, maybe two thousand years ago, John receiving a vision and what he might see. We can actually experience what I think John can see on some level. We don't know. I don't. I'm not putting one on one, saying that oh, you know what you're watching, you know, on the TV is. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we can certainly relate to this. Can't we? we can relate to amazing things being projected and beautiful creations. And just you know, kind of eye-opening like experiences. It's one of the reasons why I know I watch the Olympics is because whenever they do the opening and closing ceremonies, there's just amazing human endeavors that take place. It's just like wow, I can't believe we are experiencing this. Or you know, a, a movie theater, you know, that is just really decked out in all the ways for you to be immersed, or, or just you know, forty stuff, VR stuff. It's amazing. We actually are so close in terms of being able to say yeah, if. The false prophets do these things right now, we could experience it right now. And that's where we're at amazing and great signs can be performed all kinds of misdirection all kinds of magic really could be seen and experienced by us today all kinds of phenomena there's even in verse 15 speaks about you know, the goal is to have those who are following Jesus to be slain to be killed, to be ridiculed, and to be persecuted. And so you kind of find this dichotomy where a lot of times if you want to be accepted or if you want to be um, I guess welcomed on some in some capacity in certain circles or you know in the world or you know kind of in culture. But if you profess or confess that I'm a sinner and I need help and that it's not just me, but it's actually what we believe about everyone and that we all fall short of the glory of God, and that we need God's help, we need to be saved, and this is universal, it's not easy to have conversations with people sometimes. And you don't have to be dogmatic, you don't have to be like a punk, you don't have to be someone that's like really like, you know, kind of proud, and like, oh yeah, yeah, I look down, no, 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 we're, we're not those people. But just saying that, you know what, I believe the fundamentals and the basics of what the Bible says about God, about me, about my heart, about my need, about how I see other people about my selfishness, that puts you in a place in which there's a time of persecution that happens more and more. Um, You know, it's it's always kind of with that point of view that I look at world events and and stuff like, you know, Russia and Ukraine, it it kind of hits home in so many ways, but then also it unveils so much of spiritual warfare that's around us in terms of how we think and, and how people are treated, especially their faith is in christ um you know how they are dealt with here's a quote uh, by a particular author Um, he said this the demonic the demonic idol demands worship on penalty of death christians may either give allegiance to false gods and quote live or stay faithful to christ with the real possibility of physical death now most of us are not going to experience a physical death but i think a lot of us are going to feel like we have choices to make in terms of in terms of being you know welcomed and accepted in the different spaces that God is going to put us, especially as collegians, right? There's a lot for which you know because you are believing and confessing certain things about life and about your heart and about people that you're not going to be accepted and welcomed everywhere. This is what it was like in the first century for Christians. Um, we experience it in a different way, but the spirit of the Antichrist and the false prophets are the same. In that it's going to come in the direction of attacks and persecution towards people that are clinging to faith. In Christ, I mean the good thing is, well, when I say good it's not feeling good, the good thing is God always works through persecution because he refines and purifies what faith looks like. Right there's no bandwagon Christians when you're going to have to choose life and death over your faith in Christ, and if you really believe in it you're going to do whatever it takes. To tell other people about it and so we don't experience enough of that and i think if our faith is ever weakened it's not so much because you know we don't start hard enough but it's just that you know there's not enough um i don't know we're just not experiencing that hardship and nobody wants hardship right but that's the spirit of the false prophet and the antichrist and also the dragon does not want god's people uh you know to to be doing well And so our worldview matters, how we see and perceive life matters, but if it is one for which you're not choosing, you know, the way of the world, and you're choosing, you know, what God has to say, a lot of times there's hardship and there's difficulties, and that is what leads us to this idea of the mark of the beast, and I want to talk about that a little bit, because in verses 16 and 17. It speaks about if you don't have the smart, you can't do very ordinary things. And that's the point, is that you need to live. You need to eat, you need to go places, you need to do things. And there's something about if you're not identified fully you know, with what the antichrist stands for, what the dragon wants you to worship and what the false prophet is selling you, that just your ordinary day-to-day can be complicated. It could be difficult. It could be a struggle. So let's go ahead and look at what this mark is. First of all, I really appreciate uh, how John says this in the very, very beginning, uh, as he shares the vision with us uh, what he shared in the first sentence was this this calls for wisdom. This does not call for speculation, this calls for wisdom, it calls for thinking it calls for understanding and it calls for seeing and discerning what. God's will is and what this vision is pointing to and the reason why I say this is because I grew up in a phase or in a season uh, in a culture of life. In which man like it was all about this 666 thing and uh, the number was so important and you know, let's look at you know the world and who is the Antichrist where is he coming from which country is it. People still talk about some of those things i'm not saying that it's not uh, important in a sense to kind of be observant. To world guests, by saying that there was really like a big part of culture that was like, hey, you no know, it's all about this thing, and and it's like a chip in your hand, or you know, it's like some kind of thing, you know, tattooed on your forehead, or it's so focused on the physical mark of six 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 that that must be what Revelation is speaking about. That it's oh, okay if that happens, then Revelation is being fulfilled, or we're seeing it happen. The first thing you got to realize is that it's happening. You don't need to see someone tattooed with 666 on their wrist to know that the antichrist is working and that the false prophet is speaking they're doing it right now we're in the last days but i think where it helps to have wisdom versus speculation is to be able to step back and go hey what does 666 mean even to that first century right if you were to hear somebody that wants to put a stamp of 666 on you what does that mean? What does this stand for? And let's not get all weird about like, you know, license plates or like house addresses or, you know, something weird like that, that you can get texted on for it. Uh, it's more than that, because if it's just that, I actually think that the false prophet has deceived us pretty well. If we think that all we have to do is look for something you know, that you can put on the hand, uh, it's much more than that. It's much more sinister than something physical. So what is six, six, six? Well, there's three sixes. And we'll come back to that but in the bible the number six stands for a few things the number six is the number of man number of human beings okay so man was created on the sixth day god rested after the sixth day on the seventh the week for which people are called to live has one day set apart to the lord but then on you know, you work for six days so What the number six, as it refers to the Bible, as it's from the Bible, refers to is just this idea it's about people, it's about human beings. We identify with the number six. In contrast, God is seven. It's perfection, it's completion, it's the finality of something. Okay, so even you see the three seals, or seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, God, 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 He's unleashing those judgments. He is opening seals, He is giving out these bowls. God, 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 777. And then you have 666. People, people, people. Dragon, Antichrist, false prophet. There's the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you have 666 of the dragon, Antichrist, and the false prophet. It's all about deceiving people, but it's also about putting people in the center. You know, the the opposite of someone that is putting their faith in God is not necessarily someone that denies the existence of God. You ask most of your classmates, I would say, hey, do you believe in God? At least 50% would be like, sure. I don't think people are like on this like vigilante, you know, like rebellious, like, oh, I hate God. There's some of those. But most people are not so like passionate about not believing in God. The opposite of putting your faith in God is not not putting your faith in God. In the sense of denouncing Him and attacking God, it's to say I'm more important than God. That's the opposite of putting your faith in God. It's putting your faith in you. And when I say you, it's not that you know you're LeBron James and that you're you know the greatest whatever you know right now or whatever okay that you can do all things you know high score you know can do all running a team whatever I'm not talking about that putting your faith in. It's that God has a will for his people, for his creation, for those made in his image. And you're saying what I want and my preferences and my plans are greater than yours. That's not believing in God. That's believing in you. The spirit of that is what 666 is about. And what 666 in a formal way of the dragon, the Antichrist and the Holy, and, and not the Holy Spirit, but the false prophet what they are pushing for in revelation 13 don't believe in god don't follow god certainly don't sacrifice for god and don't suffer for god don't do any of those things believe in you it's all about you six 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 so we see that happening in every season and every stage and certainly it could come there there could be specific ways By which things can be more visible that points to your identification with that philosophy of 666 that it's all about people and not about God. But it's not primarily just kind of looking in like a weird speculative way about what's happening in the world it's so much more than that, because the dragon is doing so much more and he is so much wiser and sneakier and powerful than just that so the key for god's people today is to see what is being said and done in the spirit of the false prophet of the antichrist that leads to the worship of the dragon that's what we need to be mindful of if we're thinking about application and how we can apply or live out what this passage is teaching us for that time and even for now and even at the risk and the cost of persecution, then we want to be wise. And we want to be committed, and we want to be willing to continue to follow Christ because of what He's done for us, but also because He wins, and we're putting our faith in Him. I want to then talk in, in a way of application, um, highlighting then some of the things that I think I see the false prophet saying and doing in our culture today and maybe just even in the water of the region, and i'm saying this more to raise questions and ideas more than necessarily like this is going to be where you're going to get all of your answers today i mean this is actually going to be where hopefully you start thinking about some of the things that you hear and understand and and try to or are being told and think okay how is this reflective of maybe the spirit of 666 the Mm -hmm. spirit of the false prophet how does this drive me away from god towards worshiping the antichrist and Satan. that's what i want you guys to think about and that's what i want you guys to talk about in your community groups afterwards your application question is this i'll give it to you now and i'll show it again later what are the lies that you are led to believe about you and god that could be pointed to the spirit of the false prophet that's what i want you guys to talk about like personally for you guys what are the lies that you have been told you are reflecting on that you are living for, that really is in the spirit of Paul's topic in terms of his objectives and what he wants to do. Okay? So that's the question. So I wanted to bring up this um, idea about identity politics, and the reason why is because it's the water that you swim in. The reason why you—I I don't know how familiar you are with that phrase, or even thought deeply about it. But it's the reason why you don't—if you don't think about it very much or consider it it's because that's normal you're not challenged and convicted to think about it because that's probably more often than not the default on the college campus. it's how people train issues it's how people consider um positions it's how people make decisions and advocate for things it's based on this idea of identity politics and believe it or not I'm not trying to slam identity politics on its own, but I'm trying to highlight certain aspects of identity politics that I think as a collegian, that you really need to navigate through and think about, because it's going to influence and impact how you come to believe the truth and how you come to live out what the Bible says in your life, how you share Christ with people and how you give true hope to others. Okay, so here's the definition. Um, I didn't come up with this. This is just a simple uh, Google definition uh, from a dictionary. Identity politics is a political approach wherein people of a particular gender, religion, race, social background, social class, environmental, or other identifying factors develop political agendas that are based upon these identities. Okay, so you're a variety of identities, right? Uh, male, female, or as the supposed to tell you, what you choose? Um, you ethnicity, race, um, you know, immigrants versus not, um, you know, your sexuality, uh, where you came from in terms of, you know, a social economic background, um, so on and so forth. So all of those things you can kind of say, OK, your descriptors in your life can be identity But it's identity when you say, okay, that's me versus that's a part of me. So identity politics is where you take those descriptors of your life, which God makes and gives to us. He created diversity in the world of his image bearers to reflect him. But then he takes certain aspects of those identity markers and you go, no, but that is me, period. I am this, 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 and that defines me, period. The reason why identity politics in in when it's expressed comes out it, it, it's troublesome is because one the identities conflict a lot we just don't think about it we try to go okay well we're supposed to be tolerant and so everything's okay but if we actually stick to identity in in terms of what they what they point to and how they show differences they conflict and you can't have a black thing and a white thing this is, obviously using nothing to do with anything. A black thing and white thing, they're not the same. A big thing and a small thing are not the same. A tall thing and a short thing are not the same. But in identity politics, it's it's very fuzzy and it's very vague, And it's not where it's clear. It's just something that drives politics. And then the second thing is, and this is where it connects us to revolution. What do you think is the identity that the people That are receiving the vision and revelation and are being encouraged and taught and shepherded through what is the identity that you think the apostle john will want them to hold on to the most or to say this is my life everything else is a part of my life. That they are the redeemed that they are the people of God that there was a lamb who was slain. For them, and that their sins are forgiven. And that their hope is coming in a resurrected christ that evil will be vanquished and that they will be able to live with god for eternity face to face no more sin no more brokenness no more dissatisfaction with life. that's the identity that the people in revelation are being encouraged to embrace it's not that their various ethnicities or races or genders are not important they are but it's part of a mosaic that points to jesus rather than it is the thing that takes the place of jesus so let's look at some examples here of how identity politics sometimes could be contradictory and also can rob a person from their ultimate identity in christ so let's talk about gender okay so we, we live at a time in which gender is something that's supposed to be, however it is that that you feel or you know you identify with or you kind of connect to. I don't have problems with people, especially going through life, being confused about different things. That's where you know physical maturity, that's where hormones, that's where a lot of things, that's where culture kicks in. You know sometimes we confuse what it means to be masculine and feminine with what culture tells us is masculine and feminine. And that's not necessarily difficult either. But we have things like women's history, and that's contradicted with, you know, when people who aren't biologically women are able to say, I'm a woman. Where do you draw the line? Where do you have distinction then of who do you uphold? Who do you support? And if you do, are you really truly supporting anything at all? Think about it. Can we really cherish and honor women if we are unclear about who is a woman when the idea is to follow the science in so many ways and there's probably nothing more clear than biological understanding of male and female it's it's almost without i mean you really can't gay. so how do you how do you let identity politics make sense there because you can stand for let's say you know someone that feels like They're not their birth gender. And then you just let, oh, sure, then you're not. But then how do you then affirm someone for which they're trying to stand on the fact that, hey, God made me a man or woman, or even if they're not Christian? I'm a man or a woman. How do you give support to that? How do you honor anybody when anyone could be anybody? How do you protect? How do you love? How do you encourage? How do you build up? How do you affirm? It's very difficult. That's one of the problems. Of identity politics okay let me give you another how about race so we're, we're supposed to be all about pro-diversity right and actually the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god reflects that certainly um, all people's nations languages tribes it reflects that and certainly we're about equality right that's always out there so when you see you know situations where you know let's say if um, there's Certain groups of people, or you know, like different statuses, or like achievements, or you know, numbers, that kind of stuff. So you definitely want people to to have the opportunities. But when you find this being fleshed out like in the politics, it becomes very difficult. Just for example, you look at college admissions, which I feel like for Asian Americans, you actually probably experience this. And I'm not trying to say this is right or this is wrong i'm trying to point out the paradox here of saying oh because of identity politics we value diversity but then it's at the expense of certain groups of people our primary identity cannot be that even though i think the beauty of god's people and the beauty of human beings is that we are as different as there are as so many people. But you can't, in the name of politics say, okay, I'm all about this race and that's it. When you realize that, or I'm all about equality, fairness for all, or equality, like, you know, the same, whatever, you know, equity. You can't do them both because it, they contradict and something just seems fishy about it. The last thing I would say, you know, bring up is sexuality, right? So, how you feel versus what is more, in a sense, more enduring and more lasting. And this is actually where it ties into what the gospel has to give and to offer. You notice how the the gospel doesn't speak about, okay, so this is good news for all of the heterosexual people that never struggle with any feelings that doesn't have any you know conflicts or you know kind of any hardships or everyone's developed exactly the same and feel the same things the gospels for you the the gospel speaks of not so much how you feel and what you're going through although it definitely is able to connect to you the gospel talks about wait how did god make us god made us as male and female to reflect his image and when Male and female comes together and form the family and have children all of these things are actually very biologically um yeah sensible when that happens it reflects the image of God but what does the Bible also say the Bible says that there are those you know who maybe for some reason or another they choose not to marry but when they don't marry they're not any less because their identity is that they are children of God, that they are redeemed of God and that marriage or not marriage or relationship status doesn't define them. And so what is the gospel? Is that whatever it is that you are struggling with or wrestling with in life, you know, your, your desire and need, you know, for companionship and for relationship, your attractions to people, however it is that might come, the sins and the lusts that you deal with and you struggle with, Christ went to the cross for those things. To save and to rescue you so that you could be above all things not about your sexuality but that you can submit fully your sexuality to god as his child and that you can see that his design that magnifies him and glorifies him is one for which a man and a woman come together in marriage for life but then outside of that you can pursue holiness even if you're struggling let's say with same-sex attraction or you've had a history of all kinds of sexual sin, those are forgiven in Christ. Holiness is the objective for all of God's people. You see the difference when it's not about identity politics and that it's not about all of our differences, even though we have them. It's not about all of our sins, even though we struggle with them, but it's about Christ and what he has done, what he has accomplished. That's the difference between putting our faith in God and enduring in it versus letting the spirit of the false prophet come into our midst and actually divide, and misdirect, and mislead, even God's people away from the truth if he can't, as it says in 2nd. So I'm throwing that out there so that whenever it is that you have a question or a doubt or a conflict, first and foremost, God already knows. So don't think I will not be accepted at church because I think this. You're not the first church person or a Christian or whatever it is that had a question about a particular way in which you think and what the Bible says and how that doesn't seem to make sense. That's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we go to God's word together. That's why we have relationship with each other and community. group. It's because we want to understand and grow together. It's not that we have all the answers, none of it has all the answers, but we trust that God's word really covers all of these things. So it's not about you know you have to have all the right answers to fit in, but the flip side would be: you know what? If you have some doubts, if you have some questions, if you have some sincere convictions that say, you know what, Christianity seems to say this, I don't believe it, I believe this. Well, let's come to God's word together, let's seek him together. And let's not the spirit of the, let's not let the spirit of false prophet. Divide And worse, what is his end game is that you're not following Christ anymore. That's what you don't want. You don't want to be worshiping the poor man's alternative to your creator, maker, father, judge, and savior. You don't want to settle for that. That's the entire scheme of 666, steering you away from God so that you could worship. Yourselves in the eyes of your making. Let's persevere in okay? faith and let's keep our eyes open. Especially on our college campuses, it's everyone experiences all the things I'm talking about. There's not even enough time. But let's cling to the gospel, let's walk together and let's be open to share with each other. The one thing please don't do is if you have doubts, if you have questions, even if you have like some strong opinions, I think, oh, you know what? I'm just don't don't leave it to yourself, you know. Don't leave it just in your own head or heart, or think that you know what? I'm a bad person, you know. If I think those things. I want those things. No, let's let's come to God's word together, and let's turn to Him and let's let Him lead us and give us this thing. Okay. Let's pray, and then uh, let's respond to them together. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for this time that we have. Uh, thank you, Father, that the greatest that we have is one that is in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that even though we are unworthy, God, of the Lamb who was slain, that you demonstrated your love towards us, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So we thank you, Father, that this identity can never be taken away from us. And that even through the various seasons of life in which we grow up and wrestle and change and have conflicts with ideas and with situations and with life, Father, that if we put our faith in Christ, you will never leave forsake us. That we can continue to know you. We can continue to have a relationship with you and we continue to do this together with one another. So God, please help us to turn to you at this hour, wherever it is that we are at. Maybe we are struggling with many of the various aspects of identity. We pray Father, that you would be kind to us and be patient to us and help us, God just to turn to you and to look to you for answers and to look for one another for encouragement and prayer we thank you father for your faithfulness to us and thank you for your word that is forever useful and meaningful and encouraging for us at every season of life and we pray lord that you would help us guide in our community groups to dispel and to share about many of those lies, or just even one that has come over us and we pray lord that we return to you in faith and help us god to continue to follow Jesus your in